Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party and Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how you doing, man? Doing really well, Shay. Happy to be here as always. Yeah. Good day. Good weather. Powering through this dog that's trying to make an appearance on the podcast right now, and uh, we'll get the good recording done. Uh, we got an episode, though, today, and it's going to be a good one. We're recapping the lore of Season 12, focusing on the Silva storyline um, and giving a little bit of a recap along the way with it. But we're going into the quest, and it's a really fun time because we actually enjoyed this quest, I will say. And we've if people have listened for a while, we've been a little sour on some of the previous stuff. So this was nice to see. If you want a question answered, though, on the show, ask it on our Discord channel meant for questions or leave it as a five-star review in Apple Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Kakurudoshe and at HP Burson. Links for those are in the description. If you want to support the show and get some awesome benefits, like participating in our upcoming tournament on June 4th, please consider joining our Patreon. Links for that is also in the description. Well, let's dive straight into it. I mean, we'll go right into the quests and man, okay. I guess the first thing I want to talk about before we dive into it is how do you feel about the dialogue style versus the comic style? This is dialogue for the second season in a row. We're going away from the comics. Are you enjoying this or are you more a comic? Yeah. Yeah. We're in agreement that uh, the text is a better way of telling the story. We're able to pack in more. Um, I think this time around, uh, like you said at the top, we enjoyed the story. I think this was a very productive uh, lore season. But some of the things are just clunky. You know, treasure packs, I think, are a little bit clunky. Um, While going through and reading the quest, now they call them episodes, but episodes now have chapters to them. So it's a little bit convoluted. But going through them and reading them and listening to the um, little sound effects in the background, there's an image to go along with each chapter. Every single image was reused from years ago, loading screens, or even last quest. So A little random, like they didn't have very, huge relations to what was going on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I like the text. The text is far better, but just... How lore is presented in Apex, I don't think is in its final form. You know, I think we can evolve a little bit further uh, than what we're currently doing in what they call episodes. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about this one, though. It's the perfect son, and the little blurb is Duardo Silva, Octane's father, has framed Mad Maggie for the sabotage of Olympus. When Maggie, Octane, and Lifeline discover evidence of Duardo's plans, they hunt for the truth, which will alter their friendship and the Outlands forever. Dun, dun, dun. It's a little background on what we got going on here uh, for anyone that's newer to Apex lore needs the refresher. Uh, Octane and Lifeline both grew up on the planet Samathe. They're lifelong best friends. I mean, as tight as people can get, I would say, essentially, in terms of friendship. Um, other relationships, we got Maggie and Fuse. They were longtime friends before Fuse entered the games, and then Maggie became an interplanetary terrorist, self-proclaimed freedom fighter, though, against the evils of the syndicate. She's got an interesting backstory. You guys know it, I hope, by now. And then we got Eduardo Silva, and he's pulled those legal strings to save Maggie's life and put her in the Apex games instead of executing her. And, man, that shows his influence over the syndicate legal system in the Apex games right now. This dude is not messing around. He's got pull. And Silva is also the guy that now sponsored, but also 
designs the control style of Apex Legends. So the other game, like the reoccurring game mode is now a Silva special is what we'll call it. Um, we also see Eduardo. He breaks into Olympus. Does something kind of sus on the computer. Causes a big phase warp event, which damages and moves the location of Olympus in the sky. Blames that attack then on Mad Maggie and the Syndicate. And yeah, now we're at where we are at in terms of being into the quest. And hit us with chapter one. Yeah, the, the other a little bit important background to mention is the Syndicate. We've talked about this a lot sure, in kind yeah. of our lore episodes. And that's why we were so excited about this quest or series of episodes. Because the Syndicate is such a cool idea that connects so many of the legends. But the backstory that you need to know for this quest is the Syndicate is the ruling body over what they call Syndicate Space, which currently is the Outlands and includes Salvo, the planet that Mad Maggie and Fuse are from. The Syndicate not only governs multiple planets, but also oversees the Apex Games and has a relationship with Hammond Robotics. That's kind of separate. Now that we have the background out of the way, I think we can dive in. Right, Shay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got the syndicate. They're obviously a really influential figure in this universe. And I think we're only going to get more at this rate in terms of diving into this story and how it will continue the Apex lore. And I love that. So now, chapter one of episodes called The Perfect Sun. This one's titled Olympus Has Fallen. Mad Maggie, Lifeline, and Octane win a match of the Apex Games on Olympus, and during the match found Duardo's green glasses. Lifeline believes this to be pretty serious, uh, while Octane and Maggie affirm they dislike Duardo for their various reasons. Uh, Duardo announces at a rally that the destruction of Olympus is yet another failing of the Syndicate. Instead, he says, instead of a rightful execution, of Maggie, they have unleashed our most dangerous criminal into their games for fun and profit. Just continuing to outline how reckless they've been, and this was a part of his campaign even before this season mm-hmm. of slandering the syndicate and saying that they are unfit to govern. Yeah, Lifeline believes that Duardo is manipulating public opinion with such skill that the syndicate will hand him the keys to rule over the Outlands, that he's just amassing so much influence and power. Maggie asks a great question here. If Duardo's such a big shot, he's on the political trail, he's got all the money on the Outlands, why was he here personally? And she's referring to the sabotage that was blamed on her. Lifeline then mocks Maggie's ability to think critically, and Maggie responds claiming she has run a thousand tactical operations. That's experience. That is a a lot. lot. Now, yeah, I think we got got to pause at that because a thousand tactical operations. That is a serious number. Maybe she's embellishing a bit, but a tactical operation isn't like, oh, we're going to go, you know, infiltrate, exfiltrate, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to take two hours. An operation could take weeks, if not months, based off of kind of what we know about military missions. So, A thousand seems like a lot. Years and years of intense experience coming from Maggie, uh, so she says. Octane wants to go to his father's home to find his secrets and why he had uh, 
why he wanted to cause this phase manipulation on Olympus himself. Lifeline is probably rightfully nervous about this, but more so distrusts Octane. Maggie says it will take a war to stop Duardo. Find her when it's time for that. And exits. Yeah, I mean, this is chapter one, and it was interesting to see. I think for me, it was like Lifeline kind of omitting or opening to the fact that like, hey, Octane's not the brightest. Like, Mm -hmm. I love him. I kind of like. I'm always going to be close to him, but I don't really trust him to, you know, get the job done. What that needs to be done, essentially, and that's what I feel like you're starting to get set up here. But man, this is just a. It outlines a lot in this chapter, and man, Eduardo Silva is a sus guy that has a lot of people in his pocket. This mm-hmm. dude straight up put Maggie in the games and told everyone else that. The syndicate put her in the games and nobody has the ability or evidence or power to step forward and say otherwise. Like the syndicate has their hands tied. So like this entire story, we're going to get this perspective from Eduardo Silva. I'm curious how it'll look like if we get the syndicate's perspective on things. Maybe the, the fight back in some way, shape or form because you and I are Titanfall fans. We know Blisk ain't someone to mess around with. and He's not going to go down easy. He's not going to go down without a fight. But right now, it looks like, you know, he's getting set up currently. And there's nothing anyone can do. There's like no opposition to what he's doing, Um, which is surprising, I think, is the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really cool to point out about this chapter one is that we are picking off almost exactly after the launch trailer for the season, where. Maggie comes flying in, and we see Octane and Lifeline kind of react to this in different ways, but they say, well, she's on our team. There's not much we can do. And boom, we we start this, and they just you know finish that match together, which I think is just great uh, consistency uh, for the lore. I agree 100%. We go on to chapter two called Familia Matters. Octane sneaks into his father's study, just like he says, and is caught just like Lifeline assumed that he would be because he's not, you know, the big strategic thinker. He's not a super spy. (laughs) No, not as much as he thinks. Um, But then Duardo presents a proposal to Octane asking him for an endorsement for his run for Syndicate. Octane eventually says he will, but only if his father grants, grants him various awards ranging from VIP access to clubs he's been banned from, to a, even a pet flyer, to a trip to Tartarus, uh, which he believes to be impossible. But all that being said, all those promises made, Octane claims to have other plans. Yeah, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the double agent. Like, I'm going to prove mm-hmm. Lifeline wrong, essentially. And I will say one of the things I loved about this storyline and then this chapter specifically was seeing the internal call, like the internal thoughts of Octane. I thought it was really enjoyable. I laughed to myself multiple times just kind of reading through this. And I think that's the sign of, hey, they wrote a really good character and now they're kind of executing on that in a really good way. But this chapter was so cool as a lore fan, the amount of callbacks in this chapter, um, Octane asking for that flyer. That's a little callback to concept art of Octane riding a flyer back in, it was like season one or season two. 
And people thought that was going to be like a leaked image of what was coming in the game and thought you were going to be able to ride flyers. So yep. them kind of like looping that in and bringing that in right now. That's that attention to detail Henry and I love as like the lore fans from the writer's perspective. And then Octane asking to go to Tartarus, like you said, that's impossible. We first heard of that in the Pathfinder stories from the Outlands when Octane spoke about that being one of the most dangerous planets and that it's a certain death to fly there. And so he could never find a pilot to do so. So I loved seeing them kind of pull these little, I mean, we could call them fun facts if we wanted to, like back into the storyline essentially. And that's just the cool, I mean, maybe a little shout out to Frozen Fro or something of having all the archives together there for being able to put that story together. I'm a big fan for sure. That callback of Octane riding a flyer uh, reminded me of when there was the reveal trailer and we saw that flyers were going to be in the game, there was swarms of them in the sky. And we both thought, whoa, that's a big it's switch. It's going to go crazy. We're going yeah. to have a massive amount of like PVE. You're not even going to be able to like zip line because there's just going to be all these flyers attacking you. Um, but thankfully that didn't happen. Chapter three of this episode is called Concentrate Your Fire. And we're now set into a new match of the Apex Games. Lifeline, Fuse, and Mad Maggie are now on a team competing on Stormpoint. So we've switched planets, we've, <laughs> we've switched Apex arenas, and they ramble on about friendship and how Lifeline struggles to trust Octane. Maggie and Fuse go at each other over their past, uh, pretty understandably. I mean, mm-hmm. They tried to kill history. each other. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I'm glad that in this uh, lore, we kind of hashed a little bit of that out because mm-hmm. that was needed. Maggie comes into yep. the game. How is that going to affect Fuse, them being on the same team, perhaps? How is that possible? We kind of made some steps there. But then here's where the insane part <laughs> happens. And this is where the story gets kind of wild. Lifeline gets a phone call. Yes, a phone call during the games from the Frontier Corps, which she has volunteered for, and pretty mm-hmm. much that's her mm-hmm. reason for being in the game, so she can raise money to donate to them, and they are a uh, medical relief and support yeah. corporation, sort of like the Red Cross. She answers the phone during the Apex games. They're getting attacked by spiders. She doesn't mm-hmm. care. She answers it and then leaves. She's got stuff to handle, man, with the Frontier Corps. And this kind of comes back to, I don't really understand the lore Mm -hmm. of the Apex games. Yeah. We're jumping planet to planet. Before, I didn't think that was true. Mm -hmm. Before, I felt like games lasted quite a long time and that there was many deaths in the games. Mm -hmm. None of the legends, but there was other people competing that weren't as famous, not like the all-star cast. Um. And I just feel like things are shifting a little bit. And the biggest being that we're bouncing between all the maps uh, on a regular basis and matches don't take very long to, to go on. And the fact that we, none of the legends die, that respawning is mm-hmm. fully canon and that totally. there isn't really the risk of death, it seems, in the Apex games. Yeah, it's not really the blood sport that maybe things were you know, pitched yeah. as. and. We've talked about it a lot in terms of behind the scenes off the air, but it, it's a weird thing. And it's 
partially probably, you know, how you can't tell this story and have people die and continue to play the game. So like you got to, you know, take some liberties essentially as the writing team, but also most of the writing team's gone from who kind of like first wrote and established the story and there wasn't these like, I think the original writers had ideas of how things operated, but they never kind of drew lines in the sand and said or drew lines like really tough and said, "Hey, this is, you know, where this is where the buck stops. Like, yeah. this is how the games work. And so I think, you know, if you're a writer coming into that and that's never really been established, it's hard to continue to tell the story in that way without kind totally. of bleeding over in some way, shape, and form. I would love for them to kind of establish how things work. Uh, we talked a little bit about how it's, in comparison to Fortnite, it's very different, like you were saying, with the fact that Fortnite is just so direct lore into game. And then Apex, it's almost like they're two separate entities in a way. And to me, they're working to make them closer. Yes, they're working to make them closer. To me, it reminds me a lot more of League of Legends um, in terms of like the realisticness. Like in League of Legends, everybody's competing in this like, you know, arena essentially. But like you have a character that's a human and you have a character that is a, it's called a Rillian soul. Like it's a absolutely huge dragon monster that's the size of universes essentially that runs the entire cosmos but they're the same size in game and they fight each other but the lore is just you know totally different so i think there's some inspiration probably there and so it's not like this brand new thing in gaming it is just weird and it continues to be weird as we get more lore brought into the games and all that being said i agree we're not asking for uh realism or anything from lore to gameplay Totally, yeah. That lineup doesn't have to be there, but at some point there should be a little bit of consistency. Whether and you can say playable, we can play on all four maps, but lore based, we have moved on from Kings Canyon. That is no longer you know a -hmm. location Mm -hmm. we're at. There was a reason we went from Kings Canyon to World's Edge. There was a reason we went from World's Edge to Olympus, and so on. Yeah, we don't have to include all of them at the same time, even though it's gameplay. But one of the bigger questions I think will come out in the future is, is the Apex, are the Apex games a blood blood sport where your life is on the line? And this Mm -hmm. is going to come into play with Newcastle and Bangalore, but it also, in the current time, affects Maggie. Was she going to be executed and then instead was sentenced to die in the apex games killed by you know people that she threatened in a terrorist event yeah or is it kind of what duardo said in this quest where she's here to live out her days Mm -hmm. she really has no threat to her life but the syndicate's going to profit uh off of her participation yeah it's some dormammu stuff death by Mm -hmm. just doing it a million times over and over and over again you mentally go you know never physically go in theory then yeah I agree. I'd love to kind of figure out what the rules of the road are and get that established. Um, Yeah, I don't know when or how it will happen. I mean, you brought up Bangalore and her Jackson brother and her brother Jackson. I can't speak today, man. This is killing me. And it's like, we've seen relationships, though, in the games like Loba and Valk. They're dating each other and then they're killing each other. You know, um, Lifeline... And Octane are the best of friends, like we said, but they've been killing each other since season one. So it's like there are these relationships that are established that we've kind of just ignored for the lore. And I think that's the route we're going to 
continue to go, but wishfully thinking, I would love to get some. I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense to say, hey, it's respawn chambers. That's how it goes. Yeah. And that there's really no risk. The, the um, one before, thing that I. Yeah, go ahead and say. The one thing I think we can't really explain is Lifeline answering her phone and leaving the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's weird. Like it's a legit video game that you yeah. can just unplug from. I think that kind of Pause. blew my mind. I'll, I'll be right back, guys. Don't yeah. even worry about it. Yeah. Weird. weird. But before we get into the rest of the story, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Take us into the next chapter. Chapter four called Super Spies and Super Lies. Octane breaks into the Frontier Corps uh, for data upon his father's request, um, still planning to turn on him at the right time. They pull information from the Frontier Corps uh, on what they have about the syndicate. And then Duardo surprises Octane and transfers a bunch of money to fund Frontier Corps. Lifeline, as we know, has been risking her life to finance this. Duardo responds to Octane's claim that Duardo isn't trying to save the Outlands by saying, quote, you spent so much time making me the enemy because I wouldn't play catch with you, that you never actually thought to consider what I was doing. Big deep cut, I think. This line kind of hit me pretty hard. Like, yeah, kinda, and the, there's a lot of people that it, it hits close to home. Like, yeah. seriously, this is the real thing that they're kind of just addressing and tackling at this point. Yeah, I, I think to kind of belittle Octane in that way, saying, you, you painted me the villain because I wasn't there for you, and you didn't stop to consider all the good I was doing because I made that sacrifice— is kind of an odd thing to say. It's it's out of nowhere. And as this story goes on, I think we're going to get a little bit more explanation on why was that so weird. But at the time, this was definitely a, a shocking thing to say. Duardo then goes on in this chapter to blatantly manipulate Octane, uh, speaking with him more than he has ever, according to Octane, uh, in this moment. He's never said any more words than this. Apologizing for that, and letting him in on their future together. Um, He even calls Octane his greatest asset. So kind of pulling a 180, being good cop, really loving on Octane for probably the first time in his entire life in order to get what he wants. Yeah, and it it hurt to read, I'm going to be honest with you, because you're just like, oh no, he is getting manipulated. Oh no, he's going to fall for it. It just it makes too much sense at this point. This is the character arc that just obviously that most media uses. And it hurts my heart to see Octane kind of maybe slipping into that trap. But at this point, they are really trying to put on the charm that maybe Duardo's not a bad guy. Like, they're, I'm not going to say he wasn't convincing. Like, he, put, he made some good points. He seemed like he was, you know, trying to do better. And he felt really bad for, for leaving Octane out to dry. But going right ahead into chapter five, this one's called Plots and Plans. Lifeline finds out uh, that it was Duardo's money that was actually transferred to the Frontier Corps and is not happy with Octane about it. Um, She goes with Octane to then break into the safe uh, and find what Duardo was really hiding at his home and what he stole from Olympus. And they discover that it was Eduardo Silva's death certificate. 
he's been dead for years and is now being framed for the actions of this imposter. Big, big reveal, crazy news. Shay and I definitely didn't see this coming. Would have uh, never guessed it. This was a really no cool, way. like, man, if someone had made this a fan theory, it would have been like, <laughs> man, that's, that's not smart. Far out. Really but far out. It, it came through 100%. And yeah. I, it was a, those are the twists and turns that, you know, we're really into the Apex scene. So we don't really get a lot of this kind of stuff in terms of like, there's normally stuff's leaked and Henry and I just naturally see it based off things. But I had no idea this was coming and that was really fun to experience for the first time. Yeah, th- this just kind of blows up the entire storyline of this yeah, yeah. Silva character and what his ambitions are and how that connects to Octane and Silva Pharmaceuticals. This was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but going on into chapter five, Octane finds some video on Duardo's personal computer. It's not really Duardo, but it, this video is saying that his father did care about him. And Octane clearly is touched by this retrospective redemption of his father's character. This dovetails right into chapter six called mm-hmm. Endship. Octane now wants to give his quote-unquote dad a chance to save the Outlands his way. Kind of suspect. Octane and Lifeline have a big falling out. Octane is tired of being called stupid and a baby. Lifeline is tired of saving Octane and having to follow his lead into destruction and harm. Mm Mm-hmm. Octane, then at the end of the chapter, snatches the death certificate that Lifeline said she was going to go report and you know yeah. uncover what was happening, and they go their separate ways. Really sad. And this was a big deal. Like it's someone's running for like running to lead the syndicate, and they're not who they say they are. Essentially, yeah. like this is a big deal. I mean, we live in the U.S. of A. We've had some you know birth certificate jokes for our presidential candidates over the last few elections. And this was like if one of those actually had any merit to it in any way, shape, or form. And this would definitely hurt his reputation, to say the least. So Lifeline was going to destroy, in some way, shape, or form, the person Octane had kind of come to admire, even though I don't think he's like going to admit it at this point. Yeah, and again, he's clearly massively manipulated here. Oh, 100%, yes. But going into the finale, Chapter 7, called Defiance, Duardo is elected the leader of the syndicate, and in his first action, rebrands the Frontier Corps to be the Syndicate Corps. Everyone's dressed in green, you know, silver green, militarized new uniforms, and led by Charisse Che. Lifeline's mother. Now, not a good lady. <laughs> not a good <laughs> and lady. And even Octane knows that, despite yeah. the manipulation. Like, he's like, oh gosh, no, dad, please don't. <laughs> yeah, super bad. I think it was the season seven quest where we got to meet her most recently, where yes. they have the heist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of just see how much she doesn't love or care about Lifeline and mm-hmm. really tries to undermine her at every turn. The fact that now she's the one leading Lifeline's like mission organization is yeah. a 
bad thing. Uh, and, really and bad for Lifeline. She comes from war profiteering as yeah. well. Off the original war. And now she's in charge of a militarized core. Are they going to, you know, are they going to try and go to war again so they can make more money? Like, yeah. the options are open. She's not the kind of person we would probably vote in the leadership, I think is the way to put it. Definitely not. And it's just <laughs> a big stab in the back to yes. AJ Shea. Yeah. Um, but here, we get the, the reveal of the mm-hmm. true identity of this so-called Eduardo Silva um, being actually Octane's grandpa, real name Torres Silva. And his grandpa is somehow alive, now living into 100 years old by using a different formula of the stem to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to kind of say that he took Eduardo's name because he loved him, and after he died, he just wanted to maintain that legacy. Mm-hmm. Very, very strange. Um, you know, at weird this point, gesture. <laughs> very weird. And Octane isn't super shocked or disgusted by this at yeah. all, really. Um, he's just kind of... In a so trance. That's my dad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's unfortunate. At the very end, though, we return to Lifeline. And she goes to Maggie. And like Maggie said, come to me when you're ready for war. Um, Lifeline goes to Maggie and pronounces that together they will burn down the Outlands. Dude, I, I liked it. I really liked it. And that ending is what got me in, in a way. Like I told you after, I think I messaged you immediately. I was like, I think that's my favorite one in a long time. Yeah. And um, it was part of that character development of seeing Octane shift in an actual arc, but not just that seeing Lifeline shift as well. Lifeline, I would have never thought kind of going to this path of partnering with Maggie to accomplish something. But she had everything taken away from her. The core is the whole reason she's in yeah. the games. And you got to remember that. And so she's just like, this is an attack on her entire you know, belief system. And now her mom, this horrible person, is in charge of what she thought she was helping build and funding herself personally. So to see her say, let's go burn it all down. I think you're setting up yeah. a really cool story moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was a really good one um, to focus in on this guy, Torres. Yeah, um, yeah. Going into this season and into this quest or episodes, we had the big question, why is he doing this? What could mm-hmm. his possible uh, objectives be? He already clearly has the influence to decide who competes in the Apex Games, the yep. rules of the Apex Games. He's creating new challenges and game modes for them to participate in is controlling the legal system by mm-hmm. taking the most high profile case in the outlands in history the first yeah. death sentence ever yeah and erasing it completely this, guy, and this guy's it. judge jury and execution yeah it's like massive power what more could he possibly want now we see he wanted to be elected and replace the governing body of the syndicate his first action being to kind of militarize uh, one of the organizations is interesting you know how big is this plot are we going to passively expand the outlands or is his plan to you know enslave the the population of the outlands and Mm -hmm. force them to to take stim or something crazy you know it's not quite over um but we definitely learned that he didn't have enough power before but now he does 
I mean, it's not going to happen, but I will say they, with the continuation of this story, they're just setting up Titanfall 3 in such an easy way, man, to say like, hey, this guy is, he wants to start another war. Mm -hmm. What comes with war in the Outlands? Titans. You know, we've seen it. We have all the people that started it and created it there. I don't think it'll happen because it's just, it's not Apex. And so it's probably going to be some sort of the legends kind of swooping in to save the day kind of thing before a war could happen in any way, shape, or form. But that's still to me where I see maybe the end game going in some way, shape, and form. A war between the syndicate and like a combination of like IMC, Hammond, you know, resurgence, or it's like the legends and the people kind of like coming up essentially and saying, let's, you know, let's fight in some way, shape, or form. But his specific, yeah. yeah, his specific goals, I'm not sure at this point in time. What would you lean towards in theory? I have to assume that they must be massive. You know, he says, I mean, he probably lied, but he said he could grant Octane anything. Like, oh, anything like at you're all. saying the syndicate and, in the core? I'm saying this guy, Torres, what are his goals? Oh, yeah. What I was mean, your question? No, no, that's what you were. I miscommunication. You're good. I understand what you're saying. You're saying his yeah. goals are massive because look at they what he can to be. do. Yeah, yeah, he already wields so much power that yeah. it must be way further than the scope of the Apex games. You know, he, he does. Yeah, totally. I can't say, oh, he wants to, you know, change the rules or steal all the money mm-hmm. that the syndicate's making. Like, no, it's massive. It's a much larger scale. Um, I will say to go back and talk about Octane's path and journey throughout this season, we start off by Lifeline and Maggie kind of bullying him and calling him stupid, and then him going off and doing a stupid idea and it not really working, and us kind of rooting for him to prove us and the others wrong, that he is you know, going to be taking the right path and being smart. And at the end, he doesn't. Yeah, He's yeah. stupid at the end. He yeah. is fully manipulated. He's and it manipulated, breaks your yep. heart. But at the end of the day, Octane was exactly what everyone thought he was. And mm-hmm. that's kind of sad. So, Man, it is sad. Going back to Silva a little bit. I'm curious. So you're talking about this guy's got big plans in theory. What could he that must. entail? Like, and you're right. You're 100% right. And me saying a war in the Outlands, that's, that's nothing. Like, because the Outlands war is no big deal in terms of what he wants. He's, what does he get out of that? Money. And he's probably got more money than he could ever, you know, dream of at this point in time and power. And so, apparently he has immortality. And so that's what I'm saying. He's got immortality. Yeah. Maybe the goal is not. I want to rule the Outlands. I want to rule the frontier. So like that 20-year travel, that 20-year destination, that's not a big of a deal for a guy that has a stem that he can like live on forever, essentially. Yeah. So maybe he's like, I'm going to unify the Outlands. And then as the, like leading the Outlands, we're going to take over the frontier. And then we get another you know frontier war in that way, shape, or form. But that's way bigger than the Apex games. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And we're talking about immortality and all this. He looks to be in his like late 30s or 40s. Yeah. But he's 100. 
So it's like this guy has a long lifespan with mm-hmm. the stem, if it's immortality or not. Um, he's going to be around a while. Who knows what they'll develop that. in the next you know, exactly. time frame as well. So, Yeah, they could simulacrum him. They could. Oh, my gosh, man. So that's that. Go get simulacrumed. <laughs> One of the last things that I just went into this story feeling and coming out of the story, I'm just shocked by it, is Maggie seems to be redeemed in many yeah, ways. totally. And mm-hmm. that blows my mind. Like She's a bad lady. She's bad. And we have other villains in the Apex games. Mm-hmm. Revenant, bad guy. Caustic wants to kill innocent civilians too. Yep. Maggie actually did it. Mm-hmm. She actually did it. And to kind of wash over that, and have the writers of this video game say, well, there's two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. To the syndicate, she's a terrorist, but to her, she's a freedom fighter yeah. for Salvo. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Is sort of insane to me to kind of justify the actions of bombing a civilian event and then kind of uh, continue her storyline by having her uh, be the scapegoat for a larger villain really yeah. like excuses her actions to me. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can excuse those actions. Uh, it, it boggles my mind that now she is a peer to the legends. They're slowly starting to accept the, mm-hmm. her. But us as the audience and the player base are supposed to say, oh, you know, Maggie's not that bad. It and is she's bad. such an interesting character. Um, and it's not a unique character in terms of like, you are being told the perspective of one story. How do we grant you multiple perspectives? Let's bring in someone that you would identify as a terrorist, but you know, if you look from the other side and try and understand them, they could be looked at as a freedom fighter per se. And to me, it reminds me a lot of for my Star Wars, the Clone Wars, or uh, you know, Rogue One people. Maggie kind of reminds me of Saw Gerrera, like the freedom fighter that goes too far in yeah. how you achieve freedom, essentially. And so how do you draw the line and understand that character? It's a very polarizing place to be, for sure. And I think it's a cool character to have in the game, but I think they are you know, glossing over the fact that this person did some really bad things right now. And like you said, maybe they're using Silva to redeem her. I'm really interested to see how her story continues to develop, though, if she you know, helps Lifeline burn it all down. What's that yeah. perspective start to continue to look like? And yeah. And it's weird. We're both super aware that the anti-hero or relatable villain is yeah. very popular, has totally. been very popular for the last 10, 15 years mm-hmm. in movies and pop culture. To have a relatable villain that isn't just evil, but like you can kind of empathize with a little bit and yeah. you can see their can understand perspective. their point of view yeah that's very attractive to storytelling that's what's going to keep you know a modern audience engaged yeah and maggie could fall into that category except she's bad she's yeah. bad you know? and she's closer you start- to like the, the like the thanos where it's like i have my objective but i'm just killing civilians and innocent people along the way to you know, kind of do it in some way, shape, or form. Like, because yeah. if we continue to learn that, like, here's how you redeem her, is you learn that Syndicate is full corrupt, horrible. They have these, like, just the things that they're going to do, the things that they've been doing, it's just 
the worst thing in the entire world, essentially. Like, and we kind of, there's like allusions to that in theory. That's how I think you then would go about redeeming the character for taking mm-hmm. those actions. But as an audience, we still need to recognize that the ends probably don't justify the means in terms of getting there. I agree with you. I think if we could prove that the syndicate was in fact absolutely evil, then and she was on the right side of history, yes, that would be a good first step. Hard to say that because we know Silva is kind of manipulating things and making all the failures of the syndicate happen behind the scenes. But even with that aside, Maggie has displayed zero remorse for killing all these innocents. She fully stands by her actions and said, I would do it again for Salvo. I don't care. Like, and that's how can you redeem that character? She's very early in the character arc. But they're pushing it forward. They're They're pushing it it. forward, but they're not doing, I think, it's like if you got your arc, they're kind of going like, oh, I see your arc, your rainbow is going up. I'm just going to draw a straight line to the end point, essentially. Um, we didn't really get the the redemption arc yeah. that we needed to justify her being in the games alongside Fuse, but also just for the audience of this mm-hmm. video game. And that that comes back to your the whole question of how the games operate and such as well, too. Big so time. tons of variables, but I think overall a great quest and a fun fun episode of lore. Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up, though. Thank you to our producer, the third party, Tan, who supports us over on Patreon. Hit the plus on Apple, follow on Spotify, and check out the Discord via link in the description. Thanks so much for listening to the third party podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>